Hello everyone, welcome to the first episode of Mathematically Speaking. I am Adam Allred and I will be uh, the host of this podcast. And our uh, our first episode is, um, uh, is about fractals. So I'm gonna how I'm gonna try and start our, all of these episodes with a little with very as few definitions as I can and a little bit of history to give you a personal context. Um, so the first fractal that was ever made uh, was by a man named Benoit B. Mandelbrot. He was a French mathematician, or sorry, a Polish mathematician. He went to school in France um, and he got his graduate degree back right here in California, and uh, then went to work at IBM. Um, when they was first making their computers. So this is this is very, very recent mathematics. Uh, he died in 2010, and so all of his work is still kind of being moved forward. Um, and he used these, uh, these new computers to um, study these pictures called fractals. Um, you can Google it real quick, and it'll... Pro- and uh, fractal geometry, so if you Google that in images, it'll pop up. Um, and people thought these were just um, like leftover pieces of program. They were just scattered things and they weren't actually anything. But it turns out that they were actual mathematical things. They followed laws and um, other mathematical theories. Um, and so the first one that was ever made was eventually given the name the Mandelbrot set. And a set um, so first definition, a set is just a collection of things that fit under a, a definition. So if I have, if I'm saying it's the set of all people in the room recording with me, then I would be the only thing in that set because I'm the only one here. Um, so what defines the actual Mandelbrot set is actually not that important. But in English, a fractal is a something that repeats itself at a micro and a macro scale. Um, so if you close your eyes and well, don't close your eyes if you're if you can't close your eyes, but just imagine like a circle, or if you can draw a circle, now focus in on a piece of that circle. It's probably a line, or if you focused in on a bigger piece, a curved line. If you keep focusing in and like zooming in with your eyes, um, it's just a line. You don't see more circles. That so that's that's the idea behind fractals is that when you zoom in on them you don't just see a more of a you don't get down to a straight line you see more of the same shape and shapes that don't uh, have this pattern like a circle or a square or a triangle belong to the world of euclidean geometry so the second definition um euclidean geometry is just geometry that is normal for people which which what you take in high school it's just generic geometry it was made by a a Greek mathematician and philosopher around 300 BC named Euclid. He wrote a book about it. Super cool stuff. Um, but that's that's where what we think of geometry is Euclidean geometry. And there's lots of lots and lots of different kinds of geometries. But the one that Mandelbrot invented was called fractal geometry. And so it's anything that it's a, it's a geometry. So it's it studies these shapes that follow the definition of a fractal, and they can be self-repeating. So it's a, it'll be, like I said, it'll be the same shape over and over and over again, no matter how much you zoom in or how much you zoom out. So um, some examples of this um, to give you as much of a visual as I can over an audio platform. Um, if you imagine the Milky Way, the Milky Way galaxy works in a spiral. It starts in the center, kind of works its way out, and that thing is called a logarithmic spiral. 
which I'll be getting back to later. Um, but that same spiral, if you were to zoom, if you could zoom in on the Milky Way galaxy infinitely, it would be that same shape all the way down. You could just like crop out sections of it and it would look exactly the same no matter how far into it you were or how far out of it you were within reason. So given that we are in a real world, um, there are limitations to it, of course. You can't zoom in forever. You can't zoom out forever. Um, so to for something to be called a fractal in nature, uh, it has to be able to... Um, you have to be able to zoom in, quote-unquote, uh, at least three times. If you can do it three times, then it counts as a fractal. Um, so there are examples like snowflakes. Um, it's You can take a line cut out a middle section of it, make a triangle in that section, and repeat that process over and over, and you can connect the two ends of it, and you can then have a something called the Koch snowflake. Um, so, that, so there's a little bit of a little bit of history and a little bit of actual math theory. Um, so why 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 does it matter? Um, all these things are very are largely theoretical. They're mathematical objects. A lot of them are um, very. There's a lot of them in the real world, but a lot more of them exist in a purely mathematical sense. Um, but it matters a, a lot actually, because our world is not smooth. I'm not sure if you've noticed yet, but our world is very broken and jagged and uh, rough. It's very sharp. If you've had the pleasure of climbing a mountain then you understand that a mountain is not a cone like when we all draw cones as children uh, it's usually just like a big cone or a big triangle on a line that was the horizon You're like there's the mountain but we know mountains aren't like that they're very deep and involved and they're very they're, they are rough and fractal geometry is supposed to be a geometry of rough things as opposed to euclidean which is a geometry of smooth things So that, this was Mandelbrot's entire concept when he was making this geometry, um, that the world is not smooth, that lightning, when it strikes, is not a straight line, it's very rough and jagged, mountains are not cones, clouds are not spheres, we live in a very much more involved and complex world, so we should use a much more involved and complex me uh, method in analyzing it and, and trying to describe it. Um, and there are, but but um, there are mathematical ways of, of using Euclidean geometry, smooth geometry, to approximate things in the real world, which is a, in a rough and uh, jagged world. Um, but why have the approximation? Why why not just get the exact thing? That's what Mandelbrot was trying to do. And then he then it was discovered that there are things that. Euclidean geometry can't do. There are patterns in chemistry and physics um, that it couldn't solve, and so his his geometry was needed to describe these patterns and the shapes that these um, particles um, were making. Um, and they gave a lot of uh, solved a lot of problems in the world of electromagnetics, electromagnets, um, and how electrons uh, act within in, in those scenarios. But if you still don't care, um, I'm going to make it really personal for you. Um, I want you to imagine your brain. We've all seen what a brain looks like, hopefully, on a TV. Or you can Google a picture of it right now. It's nine pounds between your ears, and it creates the world around you and perceives it simultaneously. Um, 
and lately in like the worlds of mindfulness and education we've there's been a lot of talk about neuroplasticity so all that means is that your brain can grow and that new connections can be made and your so it means that your brain is a, is more of a living thing in the sense that it grows and adapts to everything around it sorry and because of that evolution had a very unique problem to solve is in the early stages of human evolution the brain was itself and it was much smaller than it is now and it kept growing but if something is growing like that it needs either a container that will grow with it or it needs to grow in a different way and the brain in evolution uh, used a fractal uh, shape to make sure that it grew you can think of it as growing in on itself. So if you see, if you've ever seen a picture of the brain, you see all those. It looks like they're like giant uh, valleys. Like the brain will be growing and it'll dip in and it'll be dipping in from either side. And it's like these wrinkles everywhere. And that's because the brain is when it when it grows, it grows in surface area, but not in volume. The volume stays roughly the same the in the entire life of it. But its surface area is what can grow. So that allows it to stay in the same shape. Or stay in the skull, which is not a growable container. But it can still grow inside of itself. It can still become more involved and more complex. And so this... So if you... Um, back when I mentioned that the Milky Way galaxy follows a logarithmic spiral. This same spiral is in the brain. That's how the... That's, that's how everything kind of grows. If you look at a cross-section of it, you can see the overall spiral, and you can see the multiple mul spirals that are within that, that overall spiral. It's a, think of Inception. It's, a, it's, it's like a shape Inception. Um, and so these patterns are what allow a lot of nature to, do, to be as effective as it can. Um, it's, it's definitely like a... It's it's like nature's most effective or efficient thing, um, because since it can since this shape these shapes can grow and adapt to the world around them by repeating the same process over and over again, it doesn't. It, you're allowed to have inefficient. You're allowed to have inefficiencies in it, because it can adapt to things. And so, but it's not just our brain. It's uh, flower petals grow in this in this pattern or vegetables if you look really closely at broccoli and cauliflower these will be their architecture um, art um, but it was mathematics that let us dive deeper into what these shapes and patterns really are and this is like I get like I said relatively new uh, mathematics in terms of considering how old math is and it started with the Greeks 300 BC with geometry and Euclid math has had a long time to do a lot of things and it has um, and that's why a lot of people, there's a, there's a common misconception that math is, it's done. What we know is what we know, and we don't need it to know anymore. But there's so much of the world that we don't know. And this is evidence that math is still a growing thing. So there's a lot of things that we don't know about fractals yet. We don't, there's people, in, there's a guy in Cornell who's making a calculus for fractals. 
people are trying to use them to measure dimensions of things and there's like fractional dimensions so we think of like oh this is we're living in a three-dimensional world or like in sci-fi like oh this is a fifth dimension entity well why not have it be a 3.5 dimensional thing and so there there are things like that and so from a philosophical standpoint um if we take the math out of this and just look at like what it says in an english sense um and take any formulas that there are in there so it's it's saying that our life that life is it, it is a jagged thing it is a rough thing and by no means is it smooth and easy for anybody um and it's really it seems to be chaotic but when you when you take a moment to sit and look back it also kind of seems to follow in a pattern and if you pay attention closely enough to your life it seems like you follow the same patterns over and over but at the time it seems like this chaotic mess that's going nowhere but only when looking back you're able to actually focus in on see that overall shape that the chaos made um so if you want to think of it like that you can think of your life as a fractal and it's but this is the great part about it is that you can change the shape of it if you're if there's some pattern that's some behavior that's making some pattern and that pattern is not serving you you can change it become a new fractal go from a spiral to a branching one and so that is so there you have it there's a little bit about uh, fractal geometry and why our and one example of why math math still matters in our world and why uh it needs to be talked i i think it needs to be talked about more in a in a daily setting it's not just the algebra that you learn in high school it's not just calculus it's not just engineering there's a lot more involved in it and it's truly a beautiful subject so thank you for listening this was our first episode of mathematically speaking Hope to hear from you again. If you have any questions or comments and you'd like them to be on the show, feel free to leave me a voice message. The link for that should be in the show notes. If you want to leave me a message, you can find me on Instagram at Adam underscore Elisha, on Twitter at Mathematically Speaking, and there's now a Facebook group called Mathematically Speaking where we're going to be having discussions after every show, and I'll be posting episodes there about a day early. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show.